Hey everyone, before the show starts, I just wanted to remind you to uh, rate, review, subscribe on iTunes. Um, no Cartridge Audio is up there. Um, keep an eye out for the new website at www.no-cartridge.com for the blog. And of course, subscribe on RSS at www.no-cartridge.net. Um, Patreon is at patreon.com backslash Hegelbon. And PayPal is at paypal.me backslash Hegelbon. Um, and without further ado, uh, please enjoy the first guest audio on uh, No Cartridge Audio. Welcome to No Cartridge Audio. Uh, my name is Trevor Strunk, uh, Hagelbon on Twitter, um, you know all the other places to find me, and uh, without further ado... I want to introduce our guest for today. We have our first guest on the podcast. Uh, his name is Alex Navarro. He is a senior editor at Giant Bomb, and he's here to talk to us about Fire Pro Wrestling, uh, both in terms of, uh, well, we could talk about what exactly we're going to talk about. Alex, how are you? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me on. I'm uh, honored to be your very first guest. That's pretty cool. Yeah, no, I mean, absolutely. We're, we're honored to have you. It's a, uh, and honestly, to a lot of people have been asking me to talk about wrestling and, um, I have to like to to come clean. I really like wrestling, but also I'm just not. I've never been an avid enough fan. Like I've been to cool shows. I was at a a, a Ring of Honor show with uh, with CM Punk and like Great Muda way back in the day, which was awesome. Um, but you know, like at the same point, I just I I'm kind of still an outsider. So it's good to have a guide. It's good to have someone who knows what they're doing. You're probably better off, honestly, like just <laughs> consuming at that level because kind of once you sort of cross over into the super fan territory there's a lot of like uh self-abuse in being a wrestling fan and <laughs> sure. having to try and keep up with it and watch just the hours upon hours upon hours of garbage that are stacked atop the occasional moments of being really awesome so you're like i think that the casual fan might be in a much better position these <laughs> days honestly yeah it sort of seems like there's a lot of self-loathing going on whenever raw is on or whenever there's a, a pay-per-view um, yeah, it's it's like that these days. Now, you also are interested, I'm assuming because of Fire Pro, or at least have sort of a background in, um, kind of like Japanese uh, wrestling as well. Is that fair to say? Or Yeah, so I got, uh, you know, I kind of grew up a, a WWF fan, like in the late 80s, early 90s. Uh, and then when I was uh, a teenager on the internet, uh, and I was sort of, you know, perusing around seeing what, like, wrestling fandom was, uh, I started coming across, uh, random, uh, people talking about stuff from Japan and not really understanding any of it. I kind of just die, dove headlong in and grabbed a few tapes of some shows that I saw people talking about a lot. Cool. Uh, so it was stuff like the Super J Cup from 1994, uh, in New Japan Pro Wrestling, a couple of old, like, all Japan pro wrestling shows, and then a bunch of, like, crazy deathmatch shit like the the old uh like fmw like exploding cage barbed wire you know nonsense matches uh and like right from there i was kind of hooked on it yeah uh, i mean J japanese wrestling just has that like i mean that's part of it right like there's from what i hear from people talking about it it's like on one hand people love the technicality and then on the other hand people love the brutality of it yeah, I mean, the thing about Japanese wrestling is that it's not a remarkably different discipline from what, you know, people who just watch, like, U.S. wrestling, like, you know, WWF, WCW, uh, you know, even some of the indie stuff. It's basically the same idea. It's just that 
stylistically, uh, they're the way Japan goes about it, they take it very seriously. Hmm. Not so much in a way that, like, you know, there can't be humor or there can't be comedy in it, but, you know, the they treat it as though it's real, even though it's, you know, I think everyone kind of instinctively knows it's definitely not. Sure. Uh, so, like, you'll see things like, you know, big shows from New Japan, like getting written up in the newspaper, like where you would read normal sports reporting and stuff like that. Like, they treat it very, like it's, it's a meaningful cultural thing as opposed to just the shitty fucking, you know, bat, uh, like lowbrow theater that uh, a lot of Americans kind of see it as. Sure. Well, that's, I mean, that's really interesting. It sort of, it reminds me a lot. I'm glad you said lowbrow because it's sort of, you know, one of the things I inevitably end up doing here is tying this back to my, my other job of, of literary scholar and, you know, a lot of, a lot of early theater and a lot of, uh, especially like Shakespeare when it came to it, when he came to America, well, not came to, but when he was performed in America in the 19th century was considered like popular before he was considered highbrow. So there is like, you know, you just distinguish it that way. You say like, this is highbrow or this is lowbrow and it takes on a totally different cast. Yeah. It's, you know, for, for Japanese pro wrestling, especially like the core, like, uh, puro style, uh, it's really just about like the fighting spirit. Like it's just about the competition, you know, dudes and, and, you know, also in the, the Joshi leagues, the, the women, uh, you know, just trying to be the best at what they do. And there's room for like drama within that. Like it's, you know, it's still theatrical, but it's not theatrical in the, you know, my my wife left me for this other wrestler, so we're going to fight. I mean, they do some of that, but that not as much in, like, the main leagues. Right. It's much more just about heated rivalries between athletes who either love or fucking hate each other. Uh, and, you know, they hit really hard. <laughs> well, I mean, that's cool, though. That, that, like, that's a lot like... Um... I mean, you think about American sports, right? Like the sports that actually do get written up in the in the newspaper, um, and that's not so far off. The idea that, like, you know, we draw up these storylines between people who just like love or hate each other, not because of any sort of like um, written out storyline, but because of like you know a history that we narrativize. Yeah, I mean, you talk about like you know to to go to a recent example, uh, the way the New England Patriots, for instance, have been sort of the true heel of the of the NFL for the last several years, you yeah. know, because they keep winning all the time, and you know sometimes under less than auspicious circumstances, and so they've sort of become like the you know the Ric Flair, if you will, of of the NFL, yeah. and then you look at like the rivalry between you know the Warriors and the Cavaliers, uh, you know, blowing the three to one lead, like that's like an all time comeback. And those kinds of storylines are sort of a lot more about, like, what Japanese wrestling is rooted. And you still get shit like, you know, the great Muda spitting mist and fucking weird cartoon stuff happening and, you know, <laughs> guys betraying other guys and all that stuff. Sure. But at the end, they all want to be champion and they all just kind of want to, you know, they'd be the best at what they do. That's really interesting. So actually, uh, to take it to Fire Pro, I read a lot about um, – and, and this is great because then you can tell me about the other stuff. So my experience with Fire Pro – before uh, the last couple of weeks when I was learning about it was a buddy of mine who is really also into wrestling, who, you know, has taken me to the few shows I've gone to um, really also loves, he loves Japanese wrestling and he loved pop fire pro. He was one of those guys that would like um, fiddle with his PlayStation two um, mm-hmm. in order to get like, and try and get like the top loading one in order to figure out a way to like uh, uh, Jerry rig it so we could play uh, Japanese coded discs, you know, that kind of thing, um, which was, just so much more common before um, digital downloads and stuff like that. Um, but uh, so, you know, I, I would watch him do it and I would try and I would be horrible at it. Um, 
but it's 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 a weird game to watch, right? Like there's there's sort of two things that I found really weird about Fire Pro, and one's just the specific game that we uh, that we sort of are going to start off talking about. Um, but uh, the weird thing about Fire Pro is it looks it's deceptively simple. It looks like it's a um, just a game where like it's a it's almost like a 2D sprite. It's almost isometric. Um, looks a lot like those old like NES uh, 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 um, wrestling games, except like you know obviously more fleshed out. But then, like, within that, and you can please correct me if I'm wrong, but within that, there's just, like, so many complex moves, right? Like, the move set is so wide, and the, the character uh, distinctiveness between the, the various wrestlers is so broad that, like, if you go in thinking it's an A-B game, um, you're going to just get on the mat every time. Yeah, it's – so, you know, it kind of started off a little more simply, but over time, like, the complexity definitely ramped up with that series. Uh, but, yeah, so it, it's a couple of things. One, it's timing. Hmm. Uh, the way the grapple mechanics work in this game is that any time two wrestlers sort of get within uh, the space of each other, they will automatically go into a grapple. And it's whoever uh, basically times the right button combination uh, correctly, which is like literally like the second before the hands touch, uh, will generally be the one who successfully pulls off the move. But then there's a layer beneath that where, you know, if you're trying to do stronger moves too early in a match and your opponent hasn't worn down enough, they're more likely to reverse it. Uh, and so that creates this sort of, you know, intense back and forth where not only are you just trying to get the timing right, but you're also trying to make sure you're hitting the right moves kind of as the match progresses. Uh, and it, it it's, you know it's layers deeper than any of that other like eight bit and 16 bit stuff uh, that, that came around that time. Uh, and then it just only got more complicated after that. Okay. So I definitely want to hear about that, but let me touch on uh, before we get to the more complicated part. Um, I want to like marinate a little bit in that SNES world and talk a little bit about um, now I'm going to get the, the adjectives wrong. Maybe okay. uh, super fire pro wrestling special. Yes, that's the one. Ah, I did it. Okay, cool. Um, so, yeah, I mean, then this is like the the, the titles are not helpful, uh, I guess, to an English speaking audience, because like I was confusing it with Super Fire Pro Wrestling Queen special, which is. Uh, and then there's also Super Fire Pro Wrestling X, which yep. is around the same time. Yeah. Yep. And it seems like, yeah, any sort of like various adjective you can kind of tack on and find. I mean, this is what the 11th game in the series at this point, right? Um, I mean, you may I not know that off the top of your head, but. I don't remember if it was that far along, but it was. There definitely been a few prior to this. Yeah. So w this game's interesting, and like, so I'll just jump right to why it's interesting to me, um, and, and maybe you can comment a little about it, and then we can turn to sort of like where the series goes from here. Because I think in a lot of ways, what's so weird about this game is, for a lot of series, it would have been a series killer, not because it's bad, but because it's so strange. Yes. Um, but of course, Fire Pro went on to do many and more. Um, so the storyline in, uh, Super Fire Pro Wrestling Special is that you are a, um, uh, as far as I can tell, there's no translation of the game, but I've read some game facts and whatever. Um, thanks for that tip, by the way, there was one with like all the, all the plot in there. So that was fun. Um, yeah, that's, that's how I ended up finding that stuff out too, was like, I played through the mode and was like, this all seems really interesting. I should actually read what happened here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then it's like, oh, yeah, I like the, there's like, there's a, someone, someone online was like, yeah, you know, you can, you could probably follow along just looking at the cutscenes that happen. And they're truly like, like Super NES cutscenes where it's just a static anime face, um, depending on what, and maybe making like two moves and like a very, very like loosely animated thing. Um, and just like 
so much text underneath. I, I don't know how you would make any sense of it without a translation. Um, but it follows this wrestler who starts off from nothing, basically like a, a, a true amateur, um, wanders into a dojo um, and is trained uh, to become, you know, ultimately you, you fight through all the various uh, leagues, you fight through Japan, you leave Japan in disgrace, you go to the United States, you fight through the United States, and eventually you beat um, Ric Flair or um, uh, it was like Dick, uh, Dick something. The names are, are incredible. Um, that they give to these give to the American wrestlers. Up, which, what, what, what the fake Ric Flair, uh, Dick Slender. That's Dick's, right. Oh, I didn't even want to guess. I thought it was Dick Slender, but I was just like, that's like, if I get that wrong. <laughs> just... Yeah. So the interesting part of the game is that it's um, it's written by Suda Fifty One, who um, most recently famous for um, well, he's famous for the Killer Seven series, uh, for No More Heroes, um, for uh, oh. Uh, help me out. What's uh, the name of the... Let It Die was Let the most die. recent game. Yeah, the one with right, 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 the Dark Souls uh, like um, that everyone was pretty into for a while. Um, really interesting writer. Uh, I've had a friend sort of like compare him to Swery sixty five, who we've also talked about on this podcast, um, as sort of like a more violent version of Swery, uh, yes. which, which seems right. Yeah. Um, but Suda writes this uh, storyline, um, and I've I've talked too much. So why don't why don't you give a Give an account, like a, a brief sort of characterization of the storyline, if you remember it, Alex. Yeah, so like the basic gist of it is that it, you kind of go through the the real basic paces of like, you know, you're a rookie wrestler, you're, you're kind of <laughs> trying to come up in the world, and then everything kind of starts to go wrong for you after a while. Uh, if I recall correctly, you end up killing someone in the ring during a match, who I believe is your friend, then later on you end up in a match with Dick Slender who I think kills your tag team partner yeah. in the ring. Also your girlfriend leaves you. Uh, and <laughs> you are essentially, you have to, you know, go up against Dick Slender, win the championship. Uh, and if you do, uh, you're on top, you've done it. You're the champion. Great. Awesome. So that's, you know, great triumph and cut scene at the end. Everything's really great. Uh, except that you find out that uh, at the, it's very lonely at the top. Uh, and your character has essentially been suffering from deep depression, realizing that there's really nothing else left for you to do, and everything else in your life is kind of gone, other than just you know the the crowd cheering you. Uh, so you kill yourself. Yeah, it's it's really rough. Um, it's it's. I described this to a friend this morning, and he said, "Well, that's that's like not a typical video game narrative." No, um, no. Uh, I mean, like someone was talking to me the other day about um the Super Nintendo game Lufia Two. And how, like, there was a dark ending to that that really blew their mind. And I, it made me think about, like, what if I had played through a game at, like, what, like 12 and gotten this ending? I, I It would have been, like, a complete game changer. Um, but what's so, I mean, there's a couple of things that are interesting about this, just even outside of it being, like, bizarre. Um, the one thing is that it's told in retrospect, right? Like, you actually start as the champ and have, like, a flashback. Oh, that's right. You do. Yes. Yes, you totally do. Yeah. So it's like it's like it's it's one of those. Um, oh, I forget what the, the, the cinematic term for it is, but one of those things where it's like the whole movie is within the moment before death in a certain way, um, yes. just before those three days pass. Um, and then the other thing is like the, the final shot is just this shot outside of a house for, I don't know, 12 seconds before there's a gun pop. And then the then the screen goes to black and it's the end of the game. Yeah, um, it's it's a really I mean, so so Suda worked on a couple of these games before kind of moving on to go and do his own thing. 
Um, and like the series never really went back to anything quite like this. Mm-hmm. You know, there are story modes in the other games, but they're they're a lot more standard, at least as far as I can re- recollect. Yeah, they never really kind of go for that uh, that that weird twist or or dark storytelling stuff, uh, at least not at that level. So it is kind of like an aberration even for the series because you know, it, it's it's something Suda's obviously known for and it's something that stuck stu- like stood out for the series over the years. Like you hear people talk about that. Oh, it's like oh that's the ser- the game where the the guy kills himself, right? Uh, which you know maybe isn't what the series actually should be known for, <laughs> but it's it's just such a, a glaring thing. And like you said, you know, for a game that came out you know in the 16 bit era, like in 1994, uh, and Never came out here, but, you know, for a Japanese audience, I, I, I do wonder if maybe, I don't know, like, I wonder if maybe that wasn't quite as outlandish a thing for a game like that at the time, but I can't think of any wrestling games that did anything quite like that. No, it, it, it's really different, and, like, honestly, uh, I, I mean, I have some questions about that that might lead into thinking about Ring of Honor and wrestling a little more, but, you know, it, it strikes me that the, the first time I really saw Suicide represented in a game um, seriously was probably spec ops the line um at the end of the game where you're sort of i don't know if you played it but um i did oh, okay so the end of the game where you're sort of like your your one option is to kill yourself um basically by shooting at what well, your imagined enemy in the mirror um and so that was like the first time i'd seen like suicide viscerally represented in the game and little did i know that people were playing around with this in what like 1994 so that's kind of yeah. i mean it's very surprising to me it is, and, you know, I mean, if you look at it from, you know, the perspective of where Suda's career kind of goes from there, like, obviously his his games get a lot more outlandish and, and cartoonish and ridiculous, but, like, there's always, I've always felt like there was kind of a, I don't know, I guess maybe like an undercurrent of sadness to everything that that dude does. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. As over-the-top and, and bombastic and silly as a lot of his games can be, you know, there's there's... I guess I, I don't I don't know if, if depressive is 100 percent the right word for it, but there is definitely like a melancholy aspect to all of them. And, you know, it's it's interesting seeing him kind of experiment. I, I, I guess maybe experimenting is the right word for it, because, uh, yeah. you know, he, he was a cog in a machine working on these games. It wasn't really like <laughs> his full thing, but he wrote, you know, that story mode. And it's interesting seeing like him that far back in his career, even kind of playing with those themes. Yeah, and I mean, there's, you know, depressive, I think that, I think you're right saying that that's not quite right. It's almost like a, um, and you know, you see this in um, one of his earlier games that just got released in English, uh, The Silver Case, um, kind of plays around with this a little bit. It's like a detective visual novel almost, but like, um, you know, the 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 quality of, of I don't know, absentness, uh, not quite, not quite, um I don't know, not quite being there in your own in your own skin. Uh, you know, reading through the script, I was looking through the one thing. So the it's the dynamic kid, but it's a, supposed to be the dynamite kid. Right. Um, is is training with your character um, and sort of invites him to go over to the to the uh, WWF analog in the states. Um, but when he's training with him, he says like, you know, your your old coach, um, who I guess later you find out that Dick Slender also killed. Yeah, Dex Slender was just fucking all over the, the murder train on that, that one. That guy killed a lot of people. Like that's, yeah. that's and then the, and then your final matches to the death. Like death is definitely like pretty cavalier in that game. Um, but he he says to, about you when you like you know your character is um he doesn't go back. Basically he you leave you go to Sweden when your when your mentor your initial mentor is dying, um and he says uh this I, I don't know how good the translation is but this was the game fact translation was uh you're an empty shell. Um, 
and it seems like that's kind of the moral of the story in a lot of ways um where like the the point of the character is like he actually doesn't have anything going on underneath like the whole thing is the the ambition and once he gets to the top like a lot of the reason he kills himself people say it's either depressiveness or apathy or whatever but it's like there's nothing there yeah he's just he's reached a point where everything that was important to him that he sort of put to the side to you know become the best to become the champion to to win the crowd's adulation uh you know it's is essentially gone by that point he has nothing nothing left other than just you know being the champion and being on top of you know his his profession and you know he sort of comes i guess to the realization that it's not enough it's just not what he wants and you know unfortunately that is that is where the story takes him yeah right so i wonder if you can uh so you know like there's a lot of questions I have about this, but I want to I want to shift towards sort of like the mechanics of the game and what you were talking about in terms of customization in the later games. Um, so let me ask this as like a a question that leads us from one level to another. Sure. Um, so I wonder my my final question about this game and the story mode, which is just again totally fascinating, um, is how much is like Suda right? Like how much is him actually experimenting? Like we were sort of saying. And then how much is actually sort of like under the surface of wrestling, right? Like in a lot of ways, what we've learned about people in wrestling, you know, dealing with uh, brain damage, much like in the NFL, or um, you think about sort of like the really tragic stories in wrestling, like Owen Hart. Um, I mean, is there a way in which like pro wrestling itself as sort of like an art form or a sports uh, art hybrid is like tragic in and of itself? And is that something that like just the video game itself can represent? I mean, I think it absolutely is. It's interesting coming at this uh, at the time when this game came out, because I feel like uh, in the mid-90s, we hadn't quite grasped uh, just sort of as a, a, a culture or a fandom uh, just how deadly wrestling sort of was, you know, both in the ring and just sort of in the personal lives of the people who perform it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there were definitely stories of, of wrestlers dying prematurely around that time. Uh, Bruiser Brody, I think, had, had, had been killed at that point. Uh, Ricky Dozen, who was another very popular Japanese wrestler, uh, I'm pretty sure was uh, just straight up stabbed by a Yakuza dude uh, oh. in the in the mid-60s. Oh, so, no. like, those kinds of stories existed, but it wasn't as much about, like, the sort of just, uh, I guess... The, the, I don't know how I'm, I'm not sure what the right word for this is, but I guess the accelerated lifespan of uh, a lot of the wrestlers who just sort of died of, you know, either injuries from the ring or, or drug overdose or, or what have you. Like a lot of the, the really rapid fire stories of that stuff hadn't really started happening until like later in the 90s. That's when a lot of the 80s guys started passing away yeah. uh, at a way more rapid clip. So, I mean, that that culture was always there, but I think it sort of became something we noticed a lot more uh like some years after this game came out so mm. I, I honestly think that a lot of that story is maybe suda kind of scratching at that a little bit before even kind of the culture had fully grasped onto it yeah because i guess it the game does look a lot different like post chris benoit for instance to sort of like reference the elephant in the room like yes it, it is very like to to see that storyline after chris benoit is like oh geez like that's a little more stark it's a little less sort of like twilight zoney and much more like you know the 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 terror of it is kind of like a more real terror visceral or on some level yeah because like the game doesn't really dig into the idea of you know for instance like cte or or head injuries or anything like that it, it it's purely a story of a person just kind of hitting a point in their life where they feel like they cannot 
continue on as they have and just yeah. ending it, which, you know, it, it's not dealt with frivolously, though it, some, in some ways it maybe feels a little bit like it does just by nature of the technology and the way the story is sort of built within like that kind of 16 bit uh, style. It seems a little maybe a little sillier even than they actually intend it to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but they don't get to the root of, you know, any of that stuff like the Chris Benoit stuff, which is very much, you know, tied to a lot of the injuries and, and head trauma that that guy had suffered over the years, which, you know, I mean, it's not to excuse it by any stretch, but, no. it's you know, Chris Benoit and that tragedy really launched a lot of the conversations that that people still are having to this day about, like, what do head injuries actually do to people who do this line of work? And what does it, you know, what does it, what is the end result of that? Right. Exactly. Um, so, so to shift a little then into like actually sort of the maturing quality of fire pro, cause you know, there's a way in which like you say that the game becomes more and more complex and like the way you describe the mechanics, I'm really interested in hearing you talk more about the mechanics because there's like, there's a way in which that technicality of the game um, stands in sort of stark contrast to the reality of just like the 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 brutality and the the kind of like blunt force of like what actually happens to the brain within wrestling like the the sort of like other side of that the flip side of that would be technicality would be artistry right yeah and it's like so my first game in this series was fire pro g which was the one they made for the uh the first playstation okay. uh I did, was not a PlayStation person growing up. I was a Nintendo kid. I pretty much <laughs> stuck very staunchly to uh, the Nintendo systems. And around that time, you know, I was even, like, importing uh, some of the N64 Japanese wrestling games from nice. uh, Aki, who who made, like, you know, WCW Revenge and WWF No Mercy and all that stuff. Uh, but I had seen people talking about this game, so I actually got a used PlayStation and some sort of device that hooked into the back, like, uh, port that would allow you to play uh, Japanese discs. And I got a Dex drive, which was how that people at that point were trading sort of characters back and forth with each other via memory card saves. Oh, cool. uh, this was a whole endeavor to, to import this game and get it together. And, you know, once I got it, I got really deeply hooked on it. Um, I got the, the Dreamcast version after that, which is Private Wrestling D. Both those games are very similar. It's the same idea. You know, a lot of wrestlers that look like wrestlers that, uh, but with, you know, hilariously different names. <laughs> and, you know, sometimes certain parts swapped out, so you would have to go into the custom editor and, and switch them back in so they would look right. Um, and then from there, it, it's... It's really those games became like they had story modes. They had all the basic trappings you would want from a game like that. But it was about the customization. It was about building wrestlers that performed very as similarly as you could get them to uh, like the character, their counterparts in real life. And so as the series went along, not only did they include like, you know, hundreds and hundreds of different moves to, to, to add to the wrestlers, uh, different created, you know, like uh, uh, body parts and whatnot. You got into like A.I. logic which was something wow. that uh, not like really no U.S. wrestling games ever got too deeply into, uh, even in the modern era. Like it, it, you get like a, a vague idea of, of AI logic building, but nothing that's like as granular as what FirePro did uh, in its heyday. So you could really massage uh, the st- like kind of just the the design of each individual character, so that you know they would go for submissions at certain points, or that you know they would lean toward uh, this type of attack in this situation, and it got like 
really intense to the point where like some of the translation guides you would find for these games were just like fucking books, man. Like they were, <laughs> there's a lot going on there that you would, you would, you had to play with. So, yeah, I mean, it sounds, it sounds a lot like you could do simulation as well, right? Where like, yes. this is also the era of the EFED or, or to sort of reveal some of my own terrible childhood mistakes. Um, you know, the, the era of the EFED where like you could have your own sort of wrestler that you made up or even like imagine different, you know, federations or whatever, like you could then simulate the, the matches yourself. Totally. Yeah. I mean, as a teenager, I definitely got into that shit as well. Uh, you are among like company here. <laughs> Good. I'm glad. Uh, but yeah, it was it was a split. You know, there were definitely the people that absolutely wanted just a huge roster of existing wrestlers that behaved the way they would in real life. Uh, and you had people that just wanted to create, you know, these really elaborate uh, fantasy leagues and fantasy characters and, you know, just kind of building them out to their heart's content. And, you know, all this juxtaposed with this, you know, still sort of 16-bit sprite style that never really evolved outside of just like, you know, kind of cleaning up the, the quality of them uh, hmm. for like literal multiple decades. So let me ask you, I mean, this is like, in a lot of ways, what you're describing reminds me of... Um... Well, I mean, particularly Japanese games in some ways, like the the level of granularity that's sort of that's started to become more and more popular in the U.S. I guess is is would be my would be my uh, instinct to say. But you can think about games like um, oh gosh, uh, a, t a game totally popped out of my head that would work for this. But I mean, you're talking about a game that has like so many choices that in fact like it wouldn't be particularly popular um, to U.S. audiences. But in fact, like the level of choices with the standardized graphics, the fact that like you're erring on the side of further customization as opposed to um, graphical advancement, um, you're kind of talking about like something that is meant for particularly smart wrestling fans or a like a, a very small thin slice of the wrestling public, right? Yeah, I mean it, it's you know there's there's been the ongoing debate for for many many years about you know the sort of difference between the the casual wrestling fan and the uh smart mark uh, to use the parlance of 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 the smart. carnies yeah yeah the smarts where like you know yeah the kind of people that would be into the idea of sitting down with a a video game that is not uh, produced in a language that they understand and fiddling with knobs and numbers for hours on end just to make sure that, you know, earthquakes, uh, you know, logic is just right. Uh, <laughs> that is definitely a very dedicated subset of the smart mark audience. Um, that said, you know, I didn't have a lot of trouble finding like-minded individuals, especially on the internet in the, the late nineties and early two thousands. Um, you know, there's there's enough of them out there to where there is a very obsessive and dedicated uh, fan base for these mm. games. And, you know, there was always sort of the the cry to, to bring the series stateside uh, for a long this time. They, they didn't. It was, there, were the, there were a couple of GBA games, I think, but that was it. Because I think everyone was just convinced that, like, nah, these these sprite based things, no one's going to buy that, you know, on for like a, a powerful modern console. Uh, but then they finally did bring out uh, one called Fire Pro Wrestling Returns for the PS2, which was sold for, I think, like 20 bucks, uh, wow. which, you know, was certainly in the budget range at that point. Yeah. Um, and it was just like, you know, a, a culmination of all the different things from Fire Pro Wrestling G and D and some of the other games, all the customization stuff, a bunch of the match types. Uh, 
And it was awesome, but I also don't know how popular that game actually was. Like, you hear people talk about it, but I think it's mostly just kind of, like you said, that same sort of subset of fans that were always dedicated to that series and were always going to import those games no matter what. Right. Uh, it never really broke big in the U.S. in a major way, uh, which is, you know, a shame, but I also think kind of understandable because if you had a PS2 and you saw this, like, weird 16-bit looking game and you're like, why would I buy this i could just go buy smackdown and look all the wrestler models are super nice looking like why would i why would i do that right yeah i mean it's interesting though to think about the the evolution in some games like i'm, I'm I, I think the more sort of like cogent way of saying what i was trying to say before is like um you, you think about a game like um uh dwarf fortress or mm-hmm. um uh even the more graphically like caves of code or something like that um these indie games that get these massive audiences um, people like really invested in them even even so like you could even sort of imagine like it's not as granular because it's sort of an obvious kind of like uh, action game on its face but like even something like the dark Souls series like the the idea of like getting these sort of like more um minutely based challenge games uh more and more popular in the states i mean you it's odd to me that like you still get like the you know uh wwe 2k17 looks like exactly the same um, uh, advertisement, exactly the same marketing, and and, and, uh, basically the exact same game with better graphics as what I would have played in, like, 2005. Yeah, it's weird. Like, the wrestling game genre has been in a very strange place for many years now, especially since, uh, you know, the WWE bought WCW and bought ECW, essentially removing Mm -hmm. all the major competition from at least the, the North American market. And, you know, you've seen companies try and, like, kind of wade their way back into the genre. Like, there was a TNA game that wasn't very good. Uh, <laughs> at one point, Konami decided they were going to try and meet up with uh, AAA in Mexico, and that game was not very good. Like, making a good wrestling game is a surprisingly difficult thing. Uh, and it's something that, you know, the the fans, I think, have, you know... W- whined is the wrong word, but I've definitely complained about for many, many years that no one can seem to find a way to make a good alternative to the WWE 2K games. uh, Because, you know, those games... At some point, THQ learned that uh, WWE fans will buy that game every year, whether it's good or not. It's like the Madden problem. Exactly. It's the Madden problem, but but with even more apathy attached to it. Right. Um, And 2K learned that lesson extremely quickly, alarmingly quickly, if you will, (laughs) uh, to the point where now, like, since, you know, they've kind of gotten back to where they had all the same modes uh, as the last generation, but those games have not been developing well uh, in recent years. Mm. So... You know, we're kind of at this weird stage where there's not really anything else in North America outside of the occasional mobile game that is certainly not, you know, like a simulation style wrestling game. Uh, And, you know, outside of occasional, you know, weird uh, sort of Moby Dick like white whale projects like Pro Wrestling X, which some dude has been working on for like 12 years. And (laughs) yeah, look that up sometime. That's a weird story. Yeah, I'm looking into that next. That's that's amazing. It's it it's it, so I, I interviewed that guy for GameSpot in like 2004 when he first started working on that project, and oh, it has no. gone through so many aborted starts and stops over the years that I don't know if that thing will ever actually be a full game. But regardless wow. of that, you get stuff like Five Star Wrestling, whatever. That game is not very good. But now, like Fire Pro's looking at trying to make a comeback, which is 
interesting. Like, I honestly feel like maybe now might actually be the exact right time for that. Yeah. Because people are much more tolerant of things like 2D sprites and games and that kind of style. And, you know, if you release it as, like, you know, a digital release on PS4 and put it on Steam as, like, an early access thing, you might actually be able to drum up a real audience for an... for a game that, you know, or a genre that is essentially starved for something really good right now. Yeah, it's interesting because the way you were describing, you know, when you said, like, people can't seem to make a good wrestling game, it, it sort of became, like, it immediately thought, well, yeah, because it can't be like a fighting game because it's not quite like a fighting game. Like, you can't, right. you're not really trying to knock your opponent out in the same way. And also, you can't do, like, the fights, you can't shoot a fireball, right? Like, Right, Ryu wouldn't make sense in a in a wrestling game, um, let alone anyone from you know what, like the contemporary fighting games like Blaze Blue or whatever. Um, but then at the same point, like unless you're willing to commit to uh, a timing based grappling system, like and and in in like intensive uh, move list complicated uh, granular form like Fire Pro, um, then you're gonna lose the the real the realism or the sort of like tension of a wrestling match. So you just kind of get. I don't know what like bland theater. I'm I'm not sure how to describe it. Yeah, it's it's again, it's a good wrestling game is a deceptively complicated thing. You mm-hmm. know, it, the reason we kind of go back to, for instance, like those old Aki wrestling games, uh, like people still have so much fondness for them, is because they had a really good balance between mechanics you can kind of understand and a lot of like weird hidden depth to them. Um, it's why that engine, you know, sort of found its way into other stuff over the years, like the the Ultimate Muscle games and the like. Oh. The couple those first couple of Def Jam fighting games uh, use that engine as well. Huh. But like, you know, eventually people kind of got tired. It's like, okay, well, this, you know, these these weak and strong grapples are cool, but like, you know, Tuk or, or Ukes is over here doing all this other stuff that's more like the pageantry of wrestling. So we're more interested in that. Um, but you know, like in the case of like a Fire Pro. Like, those games are hard. They, they, like, they're not super user-friendly. They're not super easy to, to get into right away because the first few matches you play in that game inevitably end up with you feeling like you had no control over what was going on. You didn't know what the button timing was. You felt like you were just getting your ass handed to you. And that can be very frustrating, especially when you're playing a game that isn't even written in a language that, that you know, a North American audience would, would immediately understand. Right. Uh, but, you know, with Fire Pro Returns, I felt like they got, you know, they did a good job of sort of distilling what was good about those games and putting it, you know, in a package that, you know, American audiences might like. Um, with the new one, with, with Fire Pro Wrestling World, which I guess is they're going to put into early access starting next quarter or whatever. Cool. They've said that they're moving away a little bit from the, you know, having the giant roster right there at the beginning, uh, probably for legal reasons, I'm guessing. <laughs> uh, you know, nowadays, if, you, if you're going to make... <laughs> yeah, I know. If you're gonna, you know, it was always amazing to me that returns even came out here, given the, you know, the fact that a bunch of that roster was just like, yeah, that's Hulk Hogan. That's that's, <laughs> that's clearly those guys. You just change uh, the name and it's legal, right? That's how it works. I mean, so in Japan, I think it was. Oh wow, that's so nice. In, in Japan, had had a very tenuous sort of uh, copyright law with that stuff, where they could do that. And could and wouldn't get sued. But I think North America was always an issue, so they would have to like either try and sneak it out in a way that no one would notice, or just try and find a way around it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but here, it sounds like what they're trying to go for right out of the gate is like, hey, we want our audience to populate this roster with all the you know the characters and customizations and and what have you. Um, 
And I think that given how starved a lot of that audience is, I feel like now might actually be a great time for that. I feel like it won't take long for a dedicated audience to just populate that thing with like thousands and thousands of familiar names. Uh, and it could be the time. I mean, I hope the games, I don't know anything about the game. I haven't played it. I have, hopefully they haven't changed the engine and, and messed with what made it good. Right. Uh, but based on what the devs have kind of said coming out, it sounds like they're not. So this, this could be the time for that. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see, too, if, like, the, the contemporary obsession with difficulty will translate over to that. Yeah, yeah, I mean, and, and again, you know, once you kind of get a feel for those games, I feel like once you get in lockstep with one of them, you can kind of play any of them. Uh, it's just a matter of getting over that initial hump and just sort of realizing that this doesn't really play like, you know, the modern 3D wrestling game or even, like, some of the older uh, 2D games that, that uh, people might be familiar with. Right. It has its own style. It has its own feel to it. And it's it's just not a super inviting one to the... But, you know, once you get in get in, get in in with it, I feel like it, it's it's one of the most satisfying wrestling games you'll ever play. Oh, cool. Well, um, I hope we can have you back on when it comes out. I'd love to talk with you more about it. Yeah, I'm I'm super curious and I'm 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 looking forward to seeing what they do with it. And you know, I I saw some some chatter out there talking about like how Suda was going to be the one bringing this back. Uh, oh. Suda's not actually making this game. He just sent them a very nice message saying I'm glad they're doing it, but uh, <laughs> it, is, it, is, it is not a Suda joint. Just they in case get it was him? I'm shocked. Yeah, he's kind of maybe got some other projects going on these days. <laughs> it'd be like uh, it'd be like getting Kojima to do like a uh, well like a. Uh, snakes revenge uh revamp or something like that yeah or just you know somehow make another fucking one of those uh psp like uh sort of turn-based games or whatever <laughs> right oh those are so weird they were, uh, they certainly were yeah. um so alex uh do you have any final thoughts uh you know nothing nothing too profound here other than to say you know uh there's never been a better time to be watching Japanese wrestling, just in case anyone was wondering. Uh, you know, with New Japan being accessible via streaming these days, they are by far the biggest uh, and, and you know, most out there company right now in terms of Japanese programs. Uh, you can find all that stuff on their New Japan World subscription. Uh, and, and it's something, that, you know, if it's a if you like U.S. wrestling and you want to see a good alternative maybe to like the, the WWE product, uh, I have found uh, the, the recent New Japan product to be uh, among the very best things I've been able to watch. There's nice. other stuff out there like uh, DDT Pro, which is a very comedy-focused league. Uh, it's real ridiculous. If you could find, you know, matches or tapes or what, or I, no one trades tapes anymore. I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. Uh, <laughs> they but if you can find, <laughs> yeah, if you can find the stuff out there, uh, it, it's worth digging deeper than just the usual WWE product because there's a lot of really great shit out there, and you know. For a long time, Fire Pro was like kind of one of the great representations of it, and hopefully, again, it can be. Nice. Well, very cool. So, uh, people can find you on Giant Bomb. That is correct. Anywhere else? Uh, you know, I'm on Twitter. I'm uh, Alex underscore Navarro on that godforsaken website. He's he's a good follow, everyone. It, it, don't don't believe him. Oh, I appreciate that. Thank <laughs> you. Uh, and other than that, you know, I'm around. I'm out here doing stuff. Cool. Well, thanks so much for coming on, uh, and we'll have you on when uh, the new game comes out. Right on. Thank you for having me. All right. Take it easy.